Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I did miss you last uh, week uh, due to the weather, and I actually missed you the week before last uh, because I was away preaching at the 50th anniversary of the congregation that I served before coming here uh, to St. Andrew while the former pastor of our Savior in Laurel, where I was, came here to St. Andrew to preach to you. So that all worked out as uh, the season of Epiphany began. Uh, with one more trip to Bethlehem with the wise men of the Magi from the east. Uh, next week, we're going to a wedding where uh, Jesus performed his very first uh, miracle, and I hope we'll also have a good time uh, discovering what that celebration is really all about. And now today, we come to yet another new beginning, namely the baptism of Jesus by John in the waters of the Jordan River, which, among other things, signaled the beginning, the launching, the inauguration of his public ministry. And I hate to say this to you, but uh, the fact is that uh, the early Christians were celebrating the baptism of Jesus long before they ever started celebrating Christmas and the birth of Jesus in the uh, early 300s, so that in spite of the big deal we appropriately make of Christmas, uh, it was for them the baptism of Jesus that was the big deal uh, right from the start. And I think you'll all agree with me that baptism uh, does mark a new beginning for everybody who comes to the water. But when you think about the baptism of Jesus, I mean, even a little bit, uh, it doesn't take very long before you hit that little theological bump in the road that causes you to stop and say, well, wait a minute. Why was Jesus baptized? Why exactly did that happen? Because whenever we celebrate baptism, we always hear the words, we were born the children of a fallen humanity. But in the waters of baptism, we are reborn, children of God. Was Jesus not a child of God? Was he not the son of God before he was baptized by John? In Acts chapter 2, Peter called people to repent and, and be baptized for the forgiveness of the washing away of their sins. Jesus had some sins that we didn't really quite know about that needed to be forgiven and washed away before he got on with his mission. And so if when you think about the baptism of Jesus, even for a little bit, you find yourself a little mystified or a little confused, what I would say to you is, don't feel too bad. John didn't get it either. When he actually stops and also says, wait a minute, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. Why on earth would you want to be baptized by me or by anybody else for that matter? And while I'm not going to spend uh, quite as much time unpacking those questions as I might have done in, in previous years, let me just say very simply that the answer is yes, Jesus is the sinless Son of God even before John baptizes him in the waters of the Jordan River. And in the interest of full disclosure, he really didn't need it for his own cleansing or his own soul. What makes the baptism of Jesus a big deal is that he begins his ministry by going to the water and putting himself in the place of a sinner. He begins his ministry by identifying with this fallen humanity 
and going to the water where sinners and those born in sin go in order to get right with God. And St. Paul impacts this for us in 2 Corinthians when he says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin or become sin for us. That's what that basically means. So that through him, Jesus, we might have the righteousness, or in other words, a right relationship with God. And as I hope you all know, there's nothing in this whole wide world that is more important than that. If you are not right with God, it doesn't matter what else is right in your life. But that is the end of the story because as I've also said many times, if Jesus is going to, if he's going to take the place or the position of a sinner in the waters of the Jordan River where he is baptized, then it follows. He's going to have to take his place in the position of a sinner at one other place. And that, of course, is the cross where he dies as this once and for all sacrifice for the forgiveness, for the washing away of our sins. And that's where the dots actually start to connect here between the baptism of Jesus and the cross of Jesus. And I hope you can see that. But the dots also start to connect between your baptism in Christ and your salvation in Christ, at the cross of Christ. Because if he is baptized as a way of beginning his journey to his cross, and if we are baptized in Christ, then we are also connected to the salvation he brings for us at his cross. It's like that equation, you know, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Or St. Paul also unpacks this for us, this time in his letter to the Romans, when he says, and you heard earlier at the beginning of the service, when we were baptized in Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death. That's why we call baptism the watermark in the shape of the cross. So that Paul goes on, if we're united with him by baptism in a death like his, then we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And that is what makes your baptism a very big deal. And why in the context of celebrating the baptism of our Lord, we also celebrate and we renew our baptism into this new life with the one who stood in our place in the water, who took our place in the cross, so that we would have a right relationship with God forever. Now, with that little uh, theological, biblical review in mind, let me just invite you and ask you to think a little bit about what it is that honestly, honestly forms your identity as a person. Our identity, by definition, being the thing that makes you, you the traits, the characteristics that make you uh, noticeable, distinguishable, knowable, knowable, connected in this world. Because if you think about that, if you think about what honestly forms your identity as a person, you may come to find out, as I have, that it's really not that easy. It's, it's a little complicated, given the fact that many of us have a number of different identities going on, depending on our relationships, depending on our circumstances, depending on uh, the roles that we occupy uh, in this life, in this world. And so, you know, there are a lot of people in this world who identify me 
as a pastor. I hope they do. But then there are some people who identify me primarily as a father, or one as a brother, or one as a husband, some as a friend, some as a neighbor, others as a, a customer, a client, a patient. And what happens is we have all these identities, and, and we end up using one of them as our dominant identi identity, and it, it predominates while others recede or they, they move to the back burner, depending, again, on the relationship, on the circumstance, on the role that we're occupying uh, in our life. And so, you know, my neighbor, for example, knows that I'm a pastor, but he identifies me primarily as the guy who shovels the snow and cuts the grass across the driveway, just like he does. Our daughter and her then fiancé were making wedding plans. They went to another pastor for their premarital counseling. Because my identity to them is primarily as father, even though I perform the ceremony. Or what about this? Who does Patty go to when she wants to complain to her pastor about her husband? <laughs> I guess that's Ken. Or, what if she wants to complain to her husband about her pastor? Who's, you know. And then it gets even more tricky when you realize that it's possible for somebody to steal your identity. I had my, my email account hacked two weeks ago. I had a phone call from the credit card company one time. Did you buy gas in Burtonsville, Maryland on Friday? Yes. Did you buy computer paper in Cherbourg, France on Friday? <laughs> No, was getting gas. You know, but as terrible as that experience might be, and some of you I know have had it, you know, I still knew who I was. I mean, it didn't really steal my identity. Well, I'm not talking about your Facebook page. I'm not talking about your credit card. I'm talking about a kind of spiritual identity theft that happens. When somebody comes along or something happens in your life to steal your spiritual identity, to threaten your spiritual security, to try to rob you of the effectiveness of your spiritual password or passwords and get you actually to behave and to act in ways that are different from who you actually are if what forms your identity as a person is your appearance or your status, or your rank, or the acceptance of your peer group, or a, or a significant other, or you know, the car you drive, the house you live in, the clothes you wear, or whether or not you're considered to be essential. And you know, it's sad to say, I mean, this happens every day, all the time, all over the world. And when it does, you can end up becoming spiritually bankrupt, where your whole life's just a bunch of lies, and you're looking for love in the wrong places, and you're just going down some bad roads. Because Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And so the real question here around all of this, in case you're interested, is not the question, well then, what will be the predominant identity of my life? That is not it. 
The real question on the table today is what will be my core identity? The one that flows through all the other ones, permeates all the other ones, so that I'm the same person. I have the same foundation. I have the same responses in the midst of all the relationships, all the roles, all the different circumstances, all the different hats that I wear. And the answer to that question is in the second half of John 10, 10, where Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life. The answer to that question lies in the baptism of Jesus and our baptism into this new life with the one who stands in the water and takes our place in the cross to give us a new identity as children of God. And so, strange as it might sound, I think of every baptism as a case of identity theft. And the thief is Jesus Christ. Because we were born the children of a fallen humanity. That's who we were until he came along and he stole us away from the devil. And he says, these are my daughters. These are my sons. I love them. That's who they are. That is what makes you, you. And it's the most powerful ID that you're going to ever carry around in your life. And nobody can take it away from you unless you let them. See, we live in a culture uh, that encourages us all the time to look inside ourselves and to, to find ourselves and to, uh, to, to look at our feelings and our desires and our passions and unfold them. And, and when we do, that's when we figure out who we are and what our real identity is. And, and you know, people encourage us to do that. And, and when we do, you know, if, if, if it's okay with you, if it's good for you, then it's good and it's okay and, you know, everything's fine. And what's the phrase we use? all the time. Well, this is who I am. I've used it in reference to myself several times. This is, this is who I am. The problem is, that's not exactly how it works when you're baptized. Because when you're baptized, you know, your identity doesn't come from inside of you. It comes from outside of you. It comes from Him. It comes from the grace of God. And I can still have desires, and I can still have dreams, and feelings, and passions, and all that. Now, I just measure them, evaluate them, judge them based on my true identity. And when I do, well, there are going to be some times when you say, you know, boy, I really desire this. I want to do this. But I can't. Because it isn't who I am. And there will be times when you say, I'm good to go in this relationship, in this decision, in this action, because it doesn't compromise my ultimate and true inner core identity as a child of God. That is a completely different way to live your life. And today is a day for us to reclaim that identity. So the more than your title, more than your rank, more than your status, you're a child of God. More than the clothes you wear, car you drive, 
You're a child of God. You didn't get into the college you applied for. You didn't get the job you wanted. You got a relationship going south. You're furloughed. You are a child of God. And he's the one who makes you, you. Uh, I have shared uh, with some of you that when our son David was born, like on the day he was born, they checked him out at the hospital and they uh, found that uh, he had this little anomaly uh, in the form of a skin tag. It was on the uh, side of his right hand pinky finger uh, just below the second knuckle. And they, they looked at it and they said, oh, he has this, but you know, he said it's an anomaly, you know, it's no big deal. Well, you know what? I thought it was a big deal. And I still think it's a big deal. And the reason that I think it's a big deal is that I happen to have a skin tag on the side of my right hand pinky finger just below the second knuckle. And that little bugger, to my surprise, now identifies me as his dad. And he is my son. And we as members of the same family. Matter of fact, sometimes that's how we shake hands. Boop. <laughs> how much more does this baptism identify you as a child of God and a member of a family that death itself cannot and will not destroy. And so for those of you who may not be baptized, you know, come see me. We'll talk about your identity. And may all of us this day have the grace to hear the voice that Jesus himself heard in the waters of the baptism that he experienced by John in the Jordan River as God speaks to you and me today and says, these are my daughters. These are my sons. And I love them. And that will never change as we give thanks today for the one who went to the water and onto the cross to give us this new life, to make us right with God, water washed, spirit born, set free in the baptism of Jesus Christ for you and me. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.